Welcome to the G-Spot Podcast, where the G is for growth. Get your mind out the gutter. This is your girl, Dontesia, and I'm here to help you find your sweet spot in today's global marketplace. Now, guys, if you have an idea for a product or an invention, head on over to freeinventioncourse.com so you can get started on building your big thing today. Welcome back, guys, to this week's episode. I am so excited to have such an amazing and talented young lady with us here today, Miss Kalila Wright, the founder of Mess in a Bottle. She is a former architect turned productpreneur, and her story is so inspiring and so amazing. I cannot wait for her to share it with you all. So, Kalila, for those of the, those out there that are listening who don't know you, tell them a little bit about yourself where you're from, how you got into this world, and exactly what Mess in a Bottle is, because it's such a cute concept, and I really want them to hear it from your words. Sure. Hi, everyone. So my name is Kalila Wright, and I'm the owner of Mess in a Bottle. Mess in a Bottle is a t-shirt company. We put messages on t-shirts, and they actually come packaged in a reusable bottle. Um, about two years ago, I had the idea to start a company where people would be expressive without having to say anything at all. And I figured the perfect way for people to do this was to wear their message. So Mess in a Bottle, it's a very expressive brand, and it allows people to be loud. And this is the type of loud that you like where you don't even have to say anything. Oh, that's so cute. So how did you get started on this? Because you you originally went to school for architecture. So how does one make a transition from architecture to starting a t-shirt line. And it's really a cute t-shirt line, guys. It's super cute, especially because it comes in a bottle, which is what what really makes it so cute. But how did you move from architecture to starting a product company? Um, So about two years ago, I was an architect working my dream job. I was working at Under Armour, um, and I was doing uh, architectural design for Under Armour, and I loved it. Um, That was my dream job. It's the architecture retail job I've always wanted. Um, But I was sitting at my desk one day, and my son was about two years old, and I wasn't feeling fulfilled. It just felt like I needed to be doing something more and something that was mine. Um, The owner of Under Armour, which is Kevin Plank, he did a lot of speeches while we were there, and he talked about how he transitioned his company from selling T-shirts out his trunk to now being like a billion-dollar business. Um, and I thought that was just so compelling, and I really felt like, why am I here working for someone else, helping them to build their business when I have so many ideas, and I really wanted to do that for my own, and I wanted to leave behind a legacy for my son as well. Um, so I decided to start my company. Um, and I had the idea to do Mess in a Bottle, and I just dove right in, had the idea, launched it, and it's been history since. So explain to me what architectural design is, because you're doing this for Under Armour, which means you are, you're privileged to um, have access to what a clothing industry looks like, right? So that gives you a little access on the inside of how clothing, clothing businesses run. So it's architectural design for like an arm and under armor something where you're designing the store or are you designing like displays like what exactly Correct. are you designing and how did that help nope. you transition so we were doing um store and interior design um so for the most part architecture is building design and we did a lot of commercial projects for um under armor so though um i worked for a retail 
uh, retail company, I did not have too much insight on the clothing apparel side. Um, I definitely snuck off every now and then and asked different questions like, hey, what's this material that the shirt is made out of? How do you guys print it? Um, but it wasn't that much information to actually start my company. Um, there were local t-shirt companies in the mall. And what I did do was when I decided that I wanted to start this company, I would go to the mall and I, you know, if I wanted one t-shirt done, it would take me maybe three hours because my local mall, you know, the t-shirt company, it was so packed. It would always have someone there. So I decided to see what kind of machines they use, what kind of printers they use, um, what was their t-shirt. So I did all of that, gathered my information and I went home and I literally ordered all the things that I saw um, that I knew that would be beneficial to me. And that's really how I got started. Oh, wow. So it was just like, I have an idea. I'm going to get started. I'm not going to waste a whole bunch of time and just do it so that's basically what happened yep and i utilize craigslist as well you know funny enough um craigslist is definitely a great resource in which people you could buy machines because what i realized was a lot of people bought heat press machines or vinyl cutters and then they realized that it was too much work so what Mm -hmm. they did was they had it sitting in their house and they would sell it for just a percentage of what the cost actually is um so i ended up buying machines and I started my company with less less than $500. Oh, wow. So that's major. So one thing you just said was so important. I think a lot of times, especially people who have no idea what entrepreneurship is like, they think, oh, I need like $5,000, $10,000 to start my business. But it's been my experience and the experience of those other entrepreneurs I speak to that a lot of people are starting their product businesses with less than $1,000 especially in 2018 with access to the internet, we are able to uh, find really good deals for like you machinery and even people to print our stuff for us. They may be in a different state or even a different country, but there's just so many ways to get your products done and completed for way less than it used to be 15, 20 years ago. But you could have never told me that you started a business with less than $500. I would not have guessed. I started out with Ikea bottles. Um, I went to Ikea. I saw these craft-type bottles. Um, they cost two ninety nine. So I bought a couple of bottles, bought a couple of T-shirts. I bought a heat press machine for about $150 from um, Craigslist, and I bought a vinyl cutter for about $200. And with less than $500, I made it work. Um, I think that people get too kind of caught up thinking that you need a large capital. Um, What I believe is that you need capital to get to the next level and to get to the next level of your business. But I think that to start your business, you can definitely do that with minimal capital. That's so, so important. I am always like people reach out to me all the time because I've raised a lot of money and they say, hey, I need an investor for my business. I need, you know, money to get started. And I always say to them, no, you need to figure out a way to invest in yourself first. You need capital for growth. And I think that a lot of people allow that I need money. I need someone to invest in my product or I need more capital. They allow that to stop them from getting started when there are so many ways to get started for less than, you know, $500 $500 or $1,000 as opposed to I need $10,000 to do this, that, and the other. And that's not the case in most cases. And so this is a perfect illustration, guys. Craigslist. There are people out there who started something and they said, you know what? This ain't for me. 
and they decided that they don't want to do it anymore and they're now selling things on there. I mean, you can find really good equipment on Craigslist and even other retailers, eBay and other places where you can find things that are discounted price to get you started on your business. So how did you, how long did you stay at Under Armour after you, after you started your business or what was the start like? Was it starting really rocky? Was it like a smooth start? Like what has that transition been like for you um, up till now? Um, well, I will say that I prematurely, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to say it's premature, but um, I had the idea and I put the idea out to the world in July of 2015. And um, I didn't make it an official company and really start selling um, until July, January of 2016. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I had like a small baby furniture company and there was just a lot of my I was very distracted and I had a young baby. So in February of 2016, only maybe a month after I officially launched the company, I decided it was time for me to take a break from Under Armour um, and for me to, you know, leave my job at that point. Um, I was just a bit unhappy with not being able to spend time with my son and I had these businesses who were picking up and it just felt like a lot. So I decided to, you know, maybe in some people's term, prematurely leave, um, but I stopped working in February of 2016. And once I did that for that month, I would say I aimlessly walked around, like trying to figure out, you know, really getting my business underway. Um, and I did that for about eight to nine months. Um, I wasn't making any money um, and it was very hard. It was hard financially and it was a difficult time. But um, for those nine months, I kind of tried to figure out, was I going to solely focus on Mess in a Bottle as I had other little businesses or um, was I going to try to juggle three at a time? And so after maybe about December of 2016, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go into 2017 full full throttle and only focus on messing a bottle for the whole year. And I told myself, if I made money, if things went well, then I would just keep on running and keep going. And that's what I did. And um, February of 2017, I was featured on the Harry show with Mark Cuban. And I would say that significantly kind of changed the course of my business. And it got me in the right direction. And so you said something that's critical. And I think this happens all the time. I have a friend that I hope is listening and I'm going to, I'm going to call her out at some point. And, and she has multiple businesses. And I say all the time, guys, like if you really want to be successful, you have to focus on one thing at a time. It is nearly impossible to build two and three and four businesses at the same time. You need to build one, get it to where it's running smoothly, hire someone to manage that, and then build the next one. Get it to where it's running smoothly, hire someone to build, to manage that, and then move to the next one. And I think a lot of times as, as entrepreneurs, we think, hey, I can do this. I, I, you know, I can figure out a way to manage all of these things. But what happens is when you split your time, you split your money, you split your resources between multiple things, nothing takes off. And that seems to be kind of what you experienced in 2016. And I'm gonna keep it real. Like I tell, I say all the time, I tell them all the time, I definitely quit my contracted position too soon. If I had known what I know now, girl, if I had known how hard it was gonna be financially, if I had known how much money I was going to lose trying to get my business off the ground and making so many bad mistakes, I probably would have, you know, stayed a lot longer than I had stayed. So 
you say prematurely, do you do you wish you had done things differently? Do you wish you had stayed a little longer? Definitely or? not. Definitely okay. not. I think that it was time. Um, you know, Under Armour saw that I wasn't performing well and that I was distracted. I had a lot of personal things going on at the time as well. Um, so I think that for me, and I tell a lot of other entrepreneurs, this, the road you follow and the path that you follow is the road that you're probably destined to be on. So I probably mm-hmm. needed that eight months to really, you know, figure out where I wanted to go because it wasn't a transition that I knew like, oh, this t-shirt company is going to pop. Like that wasn't the case. So I really needed to have that opportunity in that time frame to say to myself, like, try it out, see what happens. You know, I did other architectural things during the time. So it made me really figure out, do I want to continue with architecture? Um, is this what I want to do? Do I want to go towards these other jobs? So, um, you know, it took a little bit of time. And I think um, everyone sometimes needs that time for that clarity. So it was a, it was premature financially. Let's say okay. that. Okay. <laughs> other okay. than that, it wasn't premature. It was premature financially. I wish the money you know, that I was making kept on happening for that time. But other than that, it was the right time. Okay. So was there any point in those eight months where you wanted to just quit? You were like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to find a job and just like walk away from it all. Was there a a point where you felt that? Oh, definitely. I mean, many, many points. Um, I mean, even now, like, you know, entrepreneurship isn't easy. It's not something that you can, you know, just do. It's something I love. I love what I'm doing now. So it makes it a little bit easier. But um, there was definitely times where I wasn't sure if I was making this right, you know, this right jump. Um, I left a six-figure job and I was now making no money. Um, We were down to the point where we we received an eviction notice. And, you know, I looked at my son, he was only two, and I'm like, is this worth it? Um, am I making the right decision? Um, so, you know, it took me some time to decide, am I going back to architecture? What will I do? And I interviewed for a couple places and I realized like I wasn't the normal Kalila during those interviews. I wasn't excited. Um, I would apply for jobs, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't send a thank you for the emails or the opportunity for them interviewing me. And that's when I really realized, like, it wasn't my passion anymore. And it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wasn't interested in just working. Um, I was interested in, like, really living my life and, like, fulfilling my life's passion. And that was owning my own company. So um, every time I had a doubt and every time, you know, and the doubt was there mainly, of course, because of finances. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kept on making little different strides in my business. And that reminded me of, you know, why this is good and why I should continue, especially when I, you know, I was featured on TV within my first year of business. Many people don't get fortune, that opportunity. Um, So I think for me, um, when those little things and different recognitions started happening, it just pushed me to really, you know, say to myself, I could do this and it's going to pay off. It's going to be rewarding. Yeah, it propels you forward. Every time I, I can, I cannot tell you how many times I wanted to quit and walk away. And it was right when I wanted to quit, like I get an order or someone would email me or someone would message me and say, I'm so proud of you. I'm so inspired. And it was just, it was always at the right time, right? It was just the thing that you needed to care, push you forward and to keep going. So you mentioned being on television, which is a huge deal, right? So, but then I want to kind of go back to what happened right before that. It was like an 
an aha moment when you were like, you know what, I am going to focus 100% on mess in a bottle for 2017. And if it doesn't pop, then I'll make a decision. Like, what was that moment for you where you were like, you know, this is, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, so what happened was I was, and I still run my own Instagram, which is insane. Um, mm-hmm. But at the time I was doing my own Instagram and I had mess in a bottle. I had a baby furniture company that was on its last way out. Um, I had a mommy group that, um, you know, I'm a part of and we were trying to monetize from the mommy group. So we had, I had several like small businesses and they were all making a little bit of money um, and mess in a bottle as well. And so at the time I just, I had an Instagram and it had like, I am Kalila and um, I used to put out products through that Instagram and the Instagram, it would be okay if you want to buy something from the mommy group, if you want to buy something mm-hmm. from nothing about it, if you want to buy something. And, you know, one day, and I was coining myself almost like as a serial entrepreneur. And I remember, I don't remember who the conversation was with, and I kind of need to figure out who this person was, but one of my friends, um, or it might have been a mentor, but someone told me that it sounded like I was all over the place it didn't sound like a good thing. You know, they said like, oh, this is wonderful that you're multifaceted, but it really sounds like you're all over the place. It doesn't sound like you know what you're doing or, you know, you have yourself focused on one business and one place. Um, and it's funny because I used to be offended by that where when people used to say like, oh, you know, doing multiple businesses, I pushed away from that because like as an artist and as a designer, I'm like, oh, I could do five businesses at once. It sounds good. It's something that I can do. You know, I have an interest in mommy things and, and furniture and t-shirts and, you know, but what I noticed was like customers, they get confused. So, you know, people started messaging me like, hey, I like this T-shirt. Where do I buy it? Do, do I buy it on the baby site? And they're like, hey, I like this furniture. Do I buy it on Mess in a Bottle? And I was just like, oh, man, like people really don't even know where to buy my products. Um, and so at that point, I just decided, you know what? It's confusing. It's confusing my audience and it's confusing me. So I decided to just cut everything off. Um, I actually, like, I had about five websites going and I eliminated all of them except for Mess in a Bottle. And I told myself that I would solely focus on Mess in a Bottle and that's what I did in January of 2017. So how did you eliminate? Like, what was the the decision-making process for you to say, I'm gonna scrap these other things and go with this? Like, what was it about Mess in a Bottle that said this is the one? Well, Mess in a Bottle was a quick turnaround. You know, T-shirts, everybody wants one, and it was fast. So the reason that I wanted to stop the baby furniture company, um, though I loved it and it made money, the problem was furniture takes time. You know, I was mm-hmm. making the furniture as well as I was sanding and like I was kind of refurbishing, restoring furniture. And it was cool. It was a great idea. It made money, but it would take me months, weeks, days to actually, you know, get one piece finished and then to sell it and make enough money where I felt compensated. Um, and it was, it was difficult. So at that point, I said, okay, I know I can't continue with the furniture company, but I knew that the t-shirts were moving really fast. People, you know, people caught on and they were like, oh, this is funny. This is cute. And this was before it was officially like in a bottle. And I saw that we were able to do more units of t-shirts. 
So mm-hmm. once I saw that, I said, you know what? I think that it would be a more profitable and smarter thing to go with the t-shirt company. And no matter the gender, the race, or whatever, everybody who heard of Mess in a Bottle and they heard of like what the mission was and who we are, they all chuckled and said they loved it. So to me, that was confirmation enough that this was the company that I needed to stick with and to run with. So I love that you made your decision on what business to go with based on business facts. A lot of people make their decisions based on their emotions. They're like, oh, but I'm really attached to making this baby furniture because I spend so much time. It's a part of me. I'm crafting. I'm sanding. This is this is what I love. I'm going to make this thing work, right? And it's not the most profitable thing. It's not the, the most business savvy or the most business smart thing to do. So I love that the, that the business you decided to go all in on was the one that made the most sense business wise. Like I can turn these around fast. People understand it. I can make money faster. It's just smarter because once you get to a place where this thing is rocking and rolling and it's like moving, moving smoothly and you are no longer running that IG page girl, then you can kind of revisit on the backside baby furniture. If that's something that's still, you're still really passionate about, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're just doing a piece a month because you have mess in the bottom that's running smoothly and that's providing you income, stable income for yourself and your family. So I love that your decision was made based on what was best for you business-wise as opposed to what was best for your emotions. I love that. And I agree with the mission. Like there is something very um, nostalgic about putting something in a bottle. And I I wanna actually talk about how you got to a place to where you actually start putting them in a bottle uh, to kind of going to go a little further with that concept of a message in a bottle. Like, what was it? What, were the, what was the moment where you were like, I'm going to actually put these in the bottle? So um, I was sitting at my desk at Under Armour, and I was listening to Chance the Rapper. And during this time, um, it was a lot of uproar in Baltimore in regards to Freddie Gray and the riots and, you know, police injustice. Um, so I started making T-shirts that had messages on them, but I had no idea like what the whole concept was. And one day I was at my desk listening to Chance the Rapper. And when I looked down just to say like, well, I wonder what this song is because it was just on YouTube. And I was like, I really like this. And when I looked down, the album cover was actually a bottle in the stands and it was a message in a bottle. And at that moment, it just mm-hmm. clicked that this is a message in a bottle, that these T-shirts were messages in a bottle. And, um, of course, message in a bottle is a popular phrase. And that phrase, of course, was taken for domains. And there were other companies who had, like, things in a bottle. um, But no one was really doing a T-shirt in a bottle. And um, I was also going through a divorce at the time. And my life was a mess. This tied in where <laughs> this was a mess in a bottle. Um, and that's exactly how it all came together. That is such a perfect little story. Like, that is so perfect. It's Because like, actually what's funny is when I first heard about mess in a bottle, I was just like, child, I can only imagine what's in that bottle. Like, because a lot of times entrepreneurs report everything <laughs> to our product, everything into our business. And I was like, I bet she is putting everything in that bottle, child, not just T-shirts, all blood, sweat, and tears, all the hurt, pain, happiness, all of that is going into that bottle. So what's funny is 
it's actually what you were feeling. You know, you're like, this is my life. Right. Putting it in a bottle with a t-shirt and a message. I hope it resonates. So that's beautiful. Um, so Thank you. you're welcome. So any on any given day, like, because let's talk about where the business has gone. You were on television. I believe I saw that you opened up like a storefront or are you opening up a storefront or something like that? Like businesses was really booming in 2017 for you guys. Um, yes, in August of in August of twenty seventeen, we opened um, we opened a retail store, and um, things were going really well. I really needed a place where I could make um, make the t-shirts. At the time, I was making it out of my house, and it just became really cumbersome between my son and I, we had t-shirts everywhere in his room. And I was getting really frustrated um, having these things in my house. Um, so in 20, in August of 2017, we decided to get a small little storefront in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and so I opened in August and it was going really well. Um, but unfortunately in November of 2017, I was um, held at gunpoint in my store. And oh, no. this resulted in me closing um, our retail store. Um, and then right now we have just a production. Um, we In January, we reopened and have a production space only. Um, so, yeah, right now we're not, um, we don't have a retail location, but we are gearing up. We have several stores that carry our um, products, and we are trying to, you know, get into more stores so people can have accessibility to buying our message anywhere they are. Wow, so I did not know the story about you being held up at gunpoint. Like, I did not know that. Oh, so that's, that's one of those real things, right? That's one of the real things that happens in business. Um, and I have heard other you know, stories from other entrepreneurs, especially those who have brick and mortar locations of like just vandalism, theft. Um, but this is the first I've heard of being held up at gunpoint. So I'm sorry that happened to you. But what I do love about that is that you said, you know what, I still need a space for us to get these things out. I'm not gonna let this shut down my entire business. I'm not gonna let this stop me from moving forward because I have something here that's really working. And so you decided to just pivot and just have a production space and still sell your wonderful products and your wonderful t-shirts. So I'm glad that that worked yeah, it's out. Been, uh, thank you, it's been very difficult. I actually was closing. Um, I did not wanna remain open. It was something that was definitely very traumatizing. Um, but, you know, it was the fans, it was the people, it was friends, it was family, um, it was big name supporters like Lovey, like Bazoma St. John, um, and other celebrity people who actually sent me personal messages. I got phone calls from all parts of Africa and Europe and people just saying they heard about my story and wanted to encourage me to keep going, um, as well as I Fund Women. Um, we ran a campaign with them to help us to raise money, and it's actually still going on, to help us with this whole transition. Um, financially, it was very difficult during the time, um, mm -hmm. so we are still, you know, transitioning into um, a new space. Um, so, you know, I think that it's one of those things where entrepreneurs, um, you go through things that you cannot avoid, you know, things that just happen in life. Mm -hmm. um, it, it wasn't something that we saw coming, you know, things were going really well. Um, but it gave me the opportunity to sort of um, reposition myself and, you know, run towards another direction and see how that will work for my business. So 
though it was something traumatic, um, I think that it allowed us to really change our direction and go about things in a different direction. You know what I love about this is a lot of times on podcasts, you know, we have guests and we interview the, you know, people with successful companies and a lot of times they kind of gloss over like the things that have happened and, and they don't talk about like, you know, you know, when it was hard or wanting to quit or recently something happened happening that kind of throws them off because, I mean, they, they know people are listening, right? But I love this because I feel it's so important for people to know that it doesn't matter like how far you go. You're going to be met with challenges at every single turn. And what you do with that challenge determines like what happens with your business. And that is a real emotion. That's definitely true. Yeah. 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 That's very true. Because, you know, you have to think about it almost as health. You know, like, God forbid, what if a health thing happened at that moment? You know, what would you do? Do you stop or do you keep going? And what do you do to keep going? Um, so I think that was a big lesson for me. And hopefully, I'm sure this is something that will continue with me. Um, though it was something very traumatic, I think that it just spoke to lessons and things of what you would do to triumph and get through something difficult. Right. Perfect. I perfectly said I can't actually add anything to that. So tell me, how do you feel about Mess in a Bottle today? How do you feel about where it is today, where you see it going in the future? What do you hope, you know, happens with it? I think it's going to be a billion-dollar company. I think before this, I thought it was going to be in the millions. I thought we were going to, like, make, you know, like, I'll probably be able to, you know, sell the company, and it'll be worth a couple million. I feel like all of the different things that I have in place um, that I'm structuring right now, I really see us one day becoming a billion dollar company. Um, I just have, I think that there's a lot of great things that's happening for the company. We're only two years old. So I could only imagine if I keep going the way I am right now, um, I think we'll be worth a lot. And I think that it'll continue to flourish and be a great company. Um, people will always have messages. You know, it's one of those companies where um, we'll always be able to recreate different messages, um, no matter what's going on in the world. You know, we try mm -hmm. to come up with different thought-provoking, funny, quirky messages that anyone can relate to. So um, I see us being around for a little while and um, for me to be able to be in everyone's home and for it to be a household brand that people, you know, walk the street and recognize who we are. I see that girl and I claim that for you. Let me tell you. I see that and I claim that for real, for real. And not just on television, on t-shirts, right? On mugs and everything else. Like messages mm -hmm. everywhere. Messages that remind you of things that are important to you, that remind you of what's going on in the world, that remind you how you feel about certain events and certain people. Like I see that for you. So I'm excited about what's to come with Mess in the Bottle. Like I said, I've been following your journey for the two years. I don't know how I missed what happened in November, but I've been following for the two years. <laughs> and so I'm so impressed with where you are and where you started two years ago when you first posted in the group about you starting a company and now having gone so far and having um, reached so many celebrities, like, you know, and, and having done a TV spot and all of that. It's really impressive and really exciting. So I'm really, really proud of you. And now, it's time for our lightning round, which we call the sweet spot. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Um, some of them are just kind of basic questions, kind of get to know you questions. And then some are like, you know, advice for entrepreneurs who come behind you. Okay. Okay. So first question, what's your favorite word? 
My favorite word is try. My favorite word is try because I'm one of those people who will try anything. I don't know. I'm not good with just trying different foods too well, but I even tried to tint my own car in high school. Okay. So my favorite word is try. I think that everyone, like some people, they make it, um, they feel as if something is impossible. But for me, I think anything is possible and I try everything. I love that. You know, you know why I love that? Because try is usually considered a negative word. But you've taken something where people are like, don't try, do, you know, like, don't say try. And you're like, you know what, try, right. is, try is the starting point. Like, you, you can't mm-hmm. start unless you try, you know. And right. so I love that you've taken such, you know, a word that people like to say is negative and you turned it into something positive. I love that. So what, um, what is your favorite sound? My favorite sound right now, I would say, is beach. I'm from Jamaica. I love hearing the ocean. I think um, hearing that kind of calm, soothing, um, quiet noise is, and then even hearing the crash of a wave is like sweet sound to me right now um because that's life like life can be very quiet it could be very serene but then it could be very loud and it can be very harsh and you have to be able to adjust your ears to that you know to that noise so I think the beach like hearing the birds hearing the the sound of like all that's happening with the ocean and the water um that's probably my favorite sound okay so what are you not very good at (laughs) um (laughs) I am not very good I almost said motherhood but my son he would argue me down and say no you're pretty good mom girl Um, most mothers we both (laughs) both feel like we're not good at motherhood don't feel bad there's a club (laughs) of not good at motherhood like seriously I'm like I struggle Uh, right um I'm not very good at um having too many things on my plate and actually delegating um, it. I think I'm so used to doing everything myself, Um, you know, especially with starting the business. I was so used to being marketing, the boss, the, you know, um, I did everything, production. So all those parts within the company I did. And now I'm at a position where I want the company to run and be effective and, be great and I now have to delegate these things to different people and I'm struggling so I think having everything on my plate and delegating is a very hard task for me that makes sense delegating letting go is hard for any entrepreneurs that makes total sense right all right so what turns you on sweet what spot turns time. me on yeah okay um let me see oh you know what really turns me on what jelly beans Jelly beans. Jelly. So that's weird. That <laughs> it gives me a good stomach ache, and I'm like, yes, okay, this is sweet success right here. <laughs> I think that, like, when I'm nervous or when I'm like in a tiff and I don't know what to do, I just go in and I buy a thing of jelly beans, and I'm good to go. Fellas, if you were listening and you want to find the way to Kalila's heart. Um, a bag of jelly beans <laughs> solution. You get her a bag of yep, jelly beans. She's yours. She's yours. 
<laughs> and this one is really more along the lines of advice. Um, what do you feel okay. are three things you need to have to thrive in this industry? Um, three things you need to strive in this industry. One, I think you need to have a good, uh, I want to say a good idea. And the reason I say a good idea, um, anyone can come off with a cool, you know, t-shirt or a design that can be a one hit wonder, you know, but if you're talking about longevity and really growing your brand, um, you need a really strong, good idea, mm-hmm. and it needs to make sense. Um, I think that's the first thing. Um, two, I think um, having a tribe, I think having a good team matters. Um, and that's when it comes to, you know, deciding if you're going to have people around you that will push you when you're down or having um, a different you know, if you're having a change of mind and a different outlook, you want to have great people behind you and people that will pick you up when you're falling. So I think that's the second part. And lastly, to thrive and do well, um, I think that you need accountability. You Mm -hmm. know, I think that whether that's within yourself or within others, I think that you just need people, you know, because sometimes it doesn't, you don't have to have a good idea, but if someone keeps you accountable and you're blogging or writing or creating and you're doing this often enough, it'll be good because mm-hmm. you're practicing. So I think those things are, um, you know, definitely key components. Those are three great things. Like I can't argue with you one bit, especially on the great idea piece. Like the great idea, the tribe, the support, when things get hard, and the accountability, those are all things you definitely need to, to thrive in any industry, especially as an entrepreneur. And lastly, if you could give your 10-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be? If I had to give my 10-year-old self any advice, it would be the tears are worth it. Um, I had, you know, a lot of things happening, a lot of it was a rough time and I cried a lot and I thought, oh, you know, this is the end of the world or school isn't going well, it's the end of the world. Um, and now, you know, 20 years later from that, I can really tell myself it's okay and you're going to be okay. So um, I think that's the biggest thing is to encourage myself to continue to make the mistakes. I wouldn't change anything. I would make all the mistakes that I made growing up and um, to keep going because it's worth it. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you for joining me this week for this week's episode. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I think there were so many gems in this conversation. There are so many lessons about pushing through and following your dreams and doing the things that feel good and not doing the things that don't feel good, which you really pointed out when you said you went to those interviews and you didn't feel like the regular mm-hmm. leader. You were like, I'm not doing this. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna settle for this because this does not feel good. So I love that message. Right. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for spending this time and imparting your wisdom on our listeners. Guys, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I hope Kalila and I were able to help you find your sweet spot this week. If not, you know where to find us next week. Guys, we'll see you then. Talk to you then. Thank you, Kalila. I really appreciate having you coming. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the G-Spot Podcast. If you have a product you want to create, head on over to www.freeinventioncourse.com 
and get started on building your incredible thing today.